I'm Cameron Mitchell, and I want to wish happy holidays to all of you. Christmas is our time of love and goodwill, a moment in the portrait of history when a bright silver star high in the night sky gave off a close and holy light, and the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Christmas is also a time of giving, and we've wrapped up a special present just for you, filled with hugs, kisses, joy, hope, and sunshine. It's a Christmas gift of love from a friend of yours, Fulton J. Sheen. He calls it Superman and Christmas, a unique comparison of fantasy and truth, a breakthrough in history, blessed by the birth of a child of grace, peace, and love. Friends, a mother told her little boy to go into the parlor and turn on television. He was distracting the mother. And he turned the dial, and he caught a picture of me on television. He ran out, said to his mother, Ma, Superman. <laughs> well, here is Superman in a new costume with even a new title tonight, Superman and Christmas. What has Superman got to do with Christmas? You know what Superman does, Batman. And then these men, we have mother planets. Isn't it interesting how many of those we have in our world today who, uh, first of all, seem to come from somewhere else, just as Superman does. And quickly he changes his costume. He puts on... He goes into a telephone booth or a closet, just as an ordinary mortal, and he puts on the form and the habit of Superman. And then once he's broke through with this great power of his, then he begins to do wonders. He relieves us in our afflictions, helps damsels in distress, Defends those who have been persecuted, the lover of the poor, and the socially disinherited. And this intensely pleases the American people. Why is it that programs of this kind are so popular? I think there's a subconscious reason, almost an unconscious one. First of all, we know that the help that we need is not just among us ordinary mortals in the affairs of daily life. If we are to have the inner strength that we need, it has to come from outside. We've never expressed this, perhaps in so many words, but we know the need of it. And Superman, Batman, and men from other worlds they satisfy our needs, at least from the point of view of imagination. They give us what we lack. We know that of and by ourselves we are not enough. Just as the music that we love is the music we already have in our own hearts, so too the amusements that we like are the unconscious expressions of hidden desires. Superman is the desire for Christmas. It should not be hard for our generation to understand Christmas. 
Now, I'm going to show you how Superman and Christmas are somewhat alike. I really didn't need to use this blackboard tonight, but uh, I'm going to use it just for this one illustration so my angel can clean it. It would be terrible to have a Christmas show and not use my angel. <laughs> the Superman comes from outside. There's a kind of a breakthrough. First, there's a breakthrough. And then, because he helps others, there is a kind of a renovation, a strength, strengthening, an aiding. Now, Christmas is just this. First, there is a breakthrough. And instead of someone going into a closet and taking on the form and the substance of a superman, the breakthrough this time is the God, God coming down to earth, breaking through time, splitting it, splitting it so much so that from that time on to this, it's B.C. and A.D., but there's this difference from Superman, and this is very important. Superman goes from weakness to power. The breakthrough of Christmas is from power to weakness. You saw the picture of the crib when the show began. Here is infinity and littleness. See, this isn't a man getting strong. This is a God becoming weak. He who made the world is in the world, even rejected by it. He who made the nest is nestled therein. The tiny little hands that are not quite long enough to reach the huge heads of the cattle are the hands that hold the reins, that steer the sun and moon and stars in their courses. Is wrapped in swaddling bands. Divinity enclosed, wrapped, confined, cabin cribbed, helpless as a babe. What a difference between Superman and this breakthrough. Not a manifestation of power to please the pride of man humility, to humble man's pride. This, this idea of a God becoming a man that you saw there in the crib is something that's very hard for us to realize. Just suppose a, suppose you love dogs and you were sorrowful for the way dogs were treated by some masters or neglected. You had the power to dispossess yourself of your body. But you could do with your soul what you wanted. And you took that soul of yours and you put it into the body of a dog. And when you did that, you would resolve but rarely to exceed the limitations of that dog organism. What a humiliation that would be. You know, you know that you had a mind that could write poetry and that could study science and absorb literature and understand Dante and Aquinas, and yet 
Here you were in the body of a dog. And then there would be another humiliation. And that other humiliation would be because you went into the organism of a dog, you would have to associate with other dogs, knowing all the while that you were better, that you were a man. You think it humbling to become a dog just simply to give dogs examples of good conduct? Well, what do you think it is for this breakthrough? Not going into a closet, but going into a stable and a crib. Being bound with swaddling bands. That's the difference in the Superman. Weakness instead of power. And then the other difference is that Superman, when he comes to this earth of ours to do his wonders, only touches the environment. He touches what is outside of man. In other words, I've never seen chalk like that before. <laughs> Angel, where did you get it? <laughs> You've got to wait for an effect. It's like telling a funny story. It just doesn't happen all at once. All that he, all the Superman does is to change circumstances on the outside but he does not touch man on the inside. That's the difference. And when God becomes man, when we have Christmas, he leaves circumstances very much the way they are. He leaves Roman soldiers parading through the streets. The same problems, pain and suffering and hunger and so forth, but he begins reforming the hearts of men. And once they are reformed, then if they live according to his way, then they'll do away with these boring things of indigence and suffering. So the God-man works in the heart of a man. It's very much as if... Now I wonder if my angel will use an invisible eraser. Now... This, uh, this internal operation of God when he comes to this earth may be likened to, uh, to a plague. Suppose that there was oh, something in the world today like the Black Death during the Middle Ages. Remember that wiped out one-third of the population of Europe? And suppose a great scientist found a remedy for that plague. And he made the remedy available to the whole human race. There would be some who would come to be relieved. Others might not. Now that's just exactly what happened when God came to this earth. We're all willing to have our circumstances changed. We like to have more money. Maybe live in a different house. But do we want our thinking changed? We want our loves changed. And the God-man who came to this earth came for the remedy for moral and spiritual plagues. He came to make us happy on the inside. Not everyone wants it. He came into his own, and his own received him not. Now this is Christmas 
in terms of the Superman. Now let me reduce it to a concrete case. The breakthrough, how he operates through what we call his grace. It means an illumination of the intellect and a strengthening of character. I did a great deal of work in my life in Soho Square District of London, which is the international area of London. And in one church there, because I was an American, I had to get up early and read the first mass. The English sleep late. Well, this was Christmas morning. Christmas. And that night there had been a heavy London fog. Believe me, our smogs here in New York are nothing compared to the fog of London. When I opened the door, a limp figure fell in. It was a young woman. She'd been asleep against the door. It was almost frozen. And I said, how, how did you happen to be here? She said, I don't know, Father. I said, oh, Father. Yes, yeah, she said, I... I used to be a Catholic, but not anymore. I said, how did you happen to be here? Well, she said, I, I don't know. I was a bit drunk. Well, I said, men often drink because they like the stuff, and women drink because they don't like something else. What didn't you like? <laughs> well, she said, I didn't like the three men, she says, that I was going with, and they were beginning to find it out. I was playing false to them. So I got drunk. What is your name? She told me your name. Pointing to a, a uh, billboard on the Cross and Blackwell jam office building across the way. I said, is that your picture there? Yes, she says, I'm the leading lady in that musical comedy. Well, I went in and made her a cup of coffee. And I said, come back now this afternoon. And she said, uh, I will come back on one condition. That you don't ask me to go to confession. I said, all right. She said, I want you to promise me faithfully that you will not ask me to go to confession. I said, I promise you faithfully not to ask you to go to confession. So she came back that afternoon before matinee. And uh, I said, we have a, a Rembrandt and a Van Dyke in this church. Would you like to see them? She said, yes. So as we walked down the side aisle, we passed the confessional box. I pushed her in. <laughs> I didn't ask her to go. <laughs> I always keep my promises. Well, she went to communion. She was there month after month. And, and then she became a nun in London. And she's still living. She's a nun. Now, here you see the breakthrough. Not the breakthrough into a crib, but the breakthrough, well, into a stable. A heart that's a stable. And then when the breakthrough happened, there was a change, a renovation of heart and character so that she was no longer what she was before. It was not the outside that was changed. It was the inside. Now, that's what Christmas is. Christmas is not just something that has happened. It's something that is happening. And some of us, we're afraid of it. It's very much like people go through life not knowing they have cancer. They're unhappy, they're, un they're sick, they're a bit miserable, but they don't know why. And if a doctor tells them that they have cancer, 
then their whole attitude toward life changes. They may be able eventually to find a remedy. So people stay away from this babe of Christmas. They stay away from Christ. They're a bit afraid. Unbelief is dreaded the truth about ourselves. That's unbelief. Faith is a willingness to face the truth about ourselves. And when we do, well, once that original dread is overcome and we admit the breakthrough, then we're changed. And then our mind is illumined, our will is strengthened, we have a great joy and happiness. So I say, therefore, it's hard for some people to accept Christmas. But I'm going to give you a tip. Because I'm talking to everybody. I always do on television. If you do not want to start there, in that stable with the full recognition of that breakthrough, I will tell you where to start. Start loving your fellow man. Start loving your neighbor. And begin to love him, not just because of what he can do for you, or because of any pleasure anyone gives you, but just love him as a fellow man, and then eventually you begin to see that he's a creature of God. The only unhappy people in this world are the people who are selfish. And I have known in this world some people who just loved humanity. Won't you begin to love really and truly? Please do that for me, and you'll eventually come to know the true meaning of Christmas. Then you'll have a Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas, Bishop Sheen. Happy Christmas. In your presence, there is a benediction and a grace. In your memory, we have lit the candles of fellowship and hope, knowing that our experiences of unity and human relationships are more compelling than the concepts, fears, and prejudices which divide us. These tiny flames must burn in our hearts all year long. Happy Christmas, Bishop Sheen. Bye now, and God love you. Fulton J. Sheen is indeed a man for all seasons. He walked a paced beat, allowing us to glimpse his nature and ponder its worth and to enjoy its presence. Bishop Sheen authored over 90 books. He broadcast countless radio and television programs and ministered in many parts of the world to people of every belief. As he said many times, it is not a unity of religion we plead for, but a unity of religious people. We may not be able to meet in the same pew, but we can meet on our knees. The bishop wrote 94 books, recorded countless radio shows, and appeared on hundreds of network and syndicated television programs. His legacy is a treasure of joy that transcends time and helps us to believe that truly, life is worth living. 
and the word was made flesh for you. How those words thrilled my heart when I permitted them to penetrate my consciousness and when I permitted myself to experience the fullness of what that reality means. Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Holy One of Israel was born for me. His public ministry, His passion, His death, His resurrection was for me, for my sake, and for the sake of my eternal salvation. Dear friends, that reality was not meant for me alone, but for every human person who has ever had life. And that means that this reality is for you. During the course of our Holy Christmas season, I pray that you will open your heart to that reality, that you will permit it to penetrate deeply within you, that the transformation that God wants to bring in you as a result of the Word made flesh might happen during this holy season of the year. May this time be a time that is deeply imprinted with the presence of Christ within you. And let us take this opportunity of Holy Christmas to permit ourselves to enter deeply into the one who gave his life for each one of us. May this be a merry and blessed Christmas. Cold the nights are turning
the season for Christmas programming. Join EWT and Radio all day today for the 48 Hours of Christmas with Raymond Arroyo and the World Over Christmas Special. Can you fulfill a huge Christmas wish of mine? Now what would that be? Could we sing I Wish You a Merry Christmas? We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. The 48 Hours of Christmas all day today on EWTN Radio. 
Christmas is a special time of worshiping our King. May the blessing of knowing Christ enrich your life in the upcoming year. This is Diane Xavier, Production Manager for KATH 910AM in North Texas, wishing you and your loved ones a Merry Christmas, a blessed New Year, with the comfort and protection of Christ and Our Lady. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. G.K. Chesterton says that it is in the old Christmas carols that date from the Middle Ages that we find not only what makes Christmas poetic and soothing and stately, but what makes it exciting. The exciting quality of Christmas rests upon a great paradox, that the power and center of the whole universe may be found in something very small, a baby in a manger. And it's extraordinary to notice how completely this paradox of the manger was lost by the brilliant theologians, but was kept in the Christmas carols. The songs recall the main point of the story, that God once ruled the universe from a stable, and that the hands that made the stars were too small to reach the huge heads of the cattle. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. From St. Luke's Gospel, the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. As we celebrate Christmas, let's bring impossible measures of joy and love to all. I'm Joseph Schuler with Guadalupe Radio Network, and I wish you a happy and holy Christmas. The Christmas Martyrology of Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the year from the creation of the world, when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth from the flood 2,957 years, from the birth of Abraham 2,015, from Moses and the coming of the Israelites out of Egypt 1,510, from the anointing of King David, 1,032. In the 65th week, according to the prophecy of Daniel, in the 42nd year of the empire of Octavian Augustus, Jesus Christ, eternal God, and Son of the Eternal Father, desirous to sanctify the world by his most merciful coming, having been conceived of the Holy Spirit, is born in Bethlehem of Judah, having become man of the Virgin Mary. This from the Church's Roman Martyrology for December 25th. Stories in the Heart would like you to join us as we celebrate this ancient feast of Christmas. First up, a true story of a nativity set with two baby Jesus. Was this a packing mistake? Then the story of a man who forgets the advice of his uncle. Will he come to realize the folly of his youth and celebrate the true meaning of Christmas? I'm Sandra McDevitt. Stay tuned for our beautiful Christmas special on another Stories from the Heart. If you're missing baby Jesus, call 7162. A true story. 
When I was a child, my father worked for an oil company in North Dakota. The company moved him around to different parts of the state, and at some point between one move and another, we lost our family nativity set. Shortly before Christmas in 1943, my mother decided to replace it and was happy to find another one at our local Five and Dime. When my brother Tom and I helped her unpack the set, we discovered two figures of the baby Jesus. Someone must have packed this wrong, my mother said, counting up the figures. We have one Joseph, one Mary, three wise men, three shepherds, two lambs, a donkey, a cow, an angel, and two baby Jesus. Oh dear, I suppose some set down at the store is missing a baby Jesus. You run back down to the store and tell the manager that we have an extra Jesus. Tell him to put a sign on the remaining boxes saying that if a set is missing a baby Jesus, call 7162. I'll give each of you a penny for some candy. The manager of the store copied down my mother's message, and the next time we were in the store, we saw the cardboard sign that read, If you're missing baby Jesus, call 7162. All week long, we waited for the call to come. Surely we thought someone was missing the important figure. And each time the phone rang, my mother would say, I'll bet that's about Jesus. But it never was. Surely someone will call, my mother said. We'll just keep them together in the manger until someone calls. Well, when no call had come by five o'clock on Christmas Eve, my mother insisted that my father, well, just run down to the store to see if there were any sets left. You can see them right through the window over the counter, she said. If they're all gone, I'll know someone is bound to call tonight. Run down to the store, my father thundered. It's 15 degrees below zero. Oh, Daddy, we'll go with you, I said. My father gave a long sigh and headed for the front door. I can't believe I'm doing this, he muttered. Each time the phone rings, everyone yells at me to see if it's about baby Jesus. And now I'm going off on the coldest night of the year to peek in a window to see if he's there or not. My father muttered all the way down the block while my brother and I raced each other up to the window where the tiny lights flickered on and off around the frame. They're all gone, Daddy, I shouted. Every set must be sold. Hooray! The mystery will be solved tonight. Back home once more, we saw that the extra baby Jesus had vanished from the set, and my mother appeared to have vanished too. Someone must have called and she went out to deliver the figure, my father reasoned, pulling off his boots. You kids get busy stringing popcorn stands for the tree, and I'll wrap your mother's present. We'd almost completed one strand when the phone rang. My father yelled for me to answer it. Tell them we found a home for Jesus. But the caller was not an inquirer. It was my mother, with instructions for us to come to 205 Chestnut Street immediately and bring three blankets, a box of cookies, and some milk. Now what has she gotten us into? My father groaned as we bundled up again. 205 Chestnut Street. Why, that's about eight blocks away. Wrap that milk up good in the blankets, or it will turn you to ice by the time we get there. Why in the name of heaven can't we all just get on with Christmas? 
It's probably 20 degrees below out there and the wind is picking up of all the crazy things to do on Christmas Eve. Tommy and I sang Christmas songs at the top of our lungs all the way to Chestnut Street. My father, carrying his bundle of blankets and milk, looked for all the world like St. Nicholas with his arms full of goodies. Every now and then, my brother would call back to him, Let's pretend we're looking for a place to stay, Dad, just like Joseph and Mary. Let's pretend we're in Bethlehem, where it's probably 65 degrees in the shade, my father would answer. The house at 205 Chestnut Street turned out to be the darkest on the block. One tiny light burned in the living room, and the moment we set foot on the front porch steps, my mother opened the door and shouted, You kids, take those blankets into the living room and wrap up the little ones on the couch. I'll take the milk and cookies. Would you mind telling me what's going on? My father asked. Never mind all that now, my mother interrupted. There's no heat in the house, and those poor children will have to spend a very bleak Christmas, so don't you complain. I told her that you would fix that oil furnace in a jiffy. My mother strode off to the kitchen to warm the milk, while my brother and I wrapped the five little children who were huddled together on the couch. The mother explained to my father that her husband had run out on them, taking everything, but she'd been doing all right until the furnace broke down. I would been washing and ironing for people and cleaning the five and dime, she said. I saw your number every day there on those boxes on the counter. When the furnace went out, that number kept going through my mind, 7162, 7162. It said on the box that if a person was missing Jesus, they should call you. That's how I knew you were good Christian people. I figured you would help me, so I stopped at the grocery store and called your missus. I'm not missing Jesus, mister, because I love the Lord, but I am missing heat. Okay, my father said kindly, you called the right number. Now let's see, you've got a little oil burner over there in the dining room. Shouldn't be too hard to fix, probably a clogged flue. I'll look it over and see what I can do. My mother came into the living room carrying a plate of cookies and a tray with warm milk. As she set the cups down on the coffee table, I noticed the figure of the baby Jesus lying in the center of the table. It was the only sign of Christmas in the house. The children stared wide-eyed with wonder at the plate of cookies my mother set before them. Then the baby woke up and started crying. My mother swooped him up in her arms and began to sing. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste, you bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. You hear that, children, the young mother said. The woman is singing about the Lord why he sent these people just to fix our furnace. When my father got the furnace working strong once more and the children had their milk and cookies, our family bundled up and made our way home. My father didn't say a thing about the cold weather and had barely set foot inside the front door when he was on the phone. Ed, hey, how are you, Ed? I heard him say. Yes, yes, Merry Christmas to you too. Say, Ed, we have kind of a situation here and I know you've got that pickup truck. I wonder if you could round up some of the boys and find a Christmas tree, you know, and a couple of other things. The rest of his conversation was lost in a blur of words as my brother and I ran to our room and began pulling down clothes and toys off our shelves. 
The man my father had called found oil for the furnace, bedding, two chairs, three lamps, and made two trips to 205 Chestnut Street before the night was done. Our gifts were piled into the back of the truck, and even though it must have been 30 below zero by then, my father let us ride along in the back of the truck. Now, no one ever did call about the missing baby Jesus in the nativity set, but as I grow older, I realize that God does work in mysterious ways. It wasn't a packing mistake after all. Bethlehem by Eliza Allen Starr. The world at peace, the land at rest, a thrill of expectation sweet runs through the virgin mother's breast. Her babe lies tranquil at her feet. Adoration, swift oblation, bows the virgin to her child, maid and mother like no other, tender, blissful, undefiled. On the stable floor beside her, virgin spouse, St. Joseph kneels, Midnight darkness, but what brightens from the newborn infant steals? Still adoring, in the manger, Mary lays her son divine, hay and straw, the manger's roughness, to his tender body line. Mary's arm, her babe encircle, Mary's breast, its milk supplies. What to her the cheerless stable as she gazes in his eyes? Knows her Lord, the world's Redeemer, is her very own, her Son, Son of God, the Word incarnate, God and man, divinely one. Bethlehem's mystery, Bethlehem's gladness, ours sweet Christ of grace today, what to us our care and sadness, as at thy low crib we pray.
But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky. And stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care. And take us to heaven to live with thee there. The Christmas Violin it wasn't where he wanted to be or what he wanted to be doing on that white, snow-swept afternoon before Christmas, standing in front of a pawn shop in a shabby section of the city. Yet, when a voice keeps saying to you over and over, go take a look at it, there comes a point where resistance finally breaks down. So, in spite of the cold and snow, and in spite of the warmth and comfort of a spacious country house where he was to be a guest for the holidays, James Morrison, an important figure in the world of finance, stood with face close to the grimy glass and looked at a violin. A battered old thing it was, but he knew enough about violins to know that it had no great value. Just an old fiddle someone had to hawk, he said to himself. This is ridiculous, he muttered and moved a step. Stay where you are, Jim Morrison. Now this voice had been speaking to him since midnight. Take a look at it. Hanging in the window of a shop just off the Bowery, you'll find it. Go take a look. And again he was remembering the voice, this time speaking to him while he was having breakfast at his club. Go take a look at it, will you? For you're not a happy man, Jim Morrison, even with all your money and all. Aye, tis cold, said the voice. I think we better go inside. Then Morrison turned his head and looked at a slim, gray sliver of a man. His face is what hold Morrison's attention. It was, well, vaguely familiar. Why should I go inside with you? Tomorrow's Christmas, the strange man said. What's that got to do with it? Because it's years, Jim Morrison, since you've felt the full beauty of Christmas. And you expect me to find it in a hawk shop? There's no reason you shouldn't. Christmas is everywhere. Come on, let's go inside. Morrison stared hard at the fellow. At once angry and unnerved, that such an obvious down-and-outer should know so much about him. Aren't you cold? Sure, I'm cold. Many people are cold because they can't afford warm coats. Many are hungry for lack of money to buy food. But you, you've got a fur-lined coat and more money than you'll ever spend, and yet you're not happy. There it was again, not happy, Morrison repeated inwardly and scowled. What a thing to say to a man like himself. Morrison toyed with the idea of offering the fellow a meal and a stout overcoat, but shrugged the thought from him. 
You can't help people by giving them things. Let them earn them. All right, since you're cold, we will step inside. Ah, but you misunderstand me, said the stranger. Tis not because I'm cold that I want to go inside. What I want is for you to buy something. Morrison looked involuntarily at the violin in the window. Aye, that would be it. Morrison frowned at him. What good would an old violin do me? Well, it's true, I used to play one once. "'Tis myself that wants it,' the stranger said. "'You'd be buying it for me.' "'Ah, oh, you need an overcoat more than you need a violin.' "'No,' the stranger countered. "'An overcoat only warms the body, "'but a violin now suitably played "'warms the heart and lifts the spirit. "'Also an overcoat wears out, "'or the moths help themselves to it, "'but music, music lives on.' "'So to the owner, Morrison said, this man wants to look at that old fiddle in the window. The owner took it out and handed it to the stranger, along with the bow that went with it. Soon, the shabby stranger was tightening the strings and scraping them lightly with the bow. And watching him, Morrison knew by the movements of his hands that the fellow could play. Then abruptly, with a lift of his head, he was playing something that took James Morrison swiftly back across the years and left him with eyes wide open. Only a simple piece it was, and he couldn't remember the name, but he knew it was the very first piece he had learned to play on a violin that his Uncle Denny had given him half a century ago. Listening, he saw himself in the squalid South Brooklyn flat where he had been born the violin under his small chin and his mother and father and sisters and his Uncle Denny gathered around him. And he heard his mother say, Do your best now, Jimmy, just if he was playing for the President of the United States. And Uncle Denny responded, Ah, oh, sure now, and maybe it will come to that because the lad has talent. The stranger lowered the violin and after a bit of tuning began to play again. Now it was a Mozart concerto. And while he listened, Jim Morrison saw himself in his early teens, again with a violin under his chin, and the whole family gathered around him. Mom, her eyes all red, and the tears running down her face. Oh, go ahead and cry, Mary. Twill do you good, Uncle Denny was saying. Tis the way I feel myself deep inside me whenever he plays like that. Ah, oh, I thought I was pretty good at scraping a fiddle. But this lad's gone far ahead of me. Again, studying the lean face of the stranger, Morrison thought that if Uncle Denny were alive, he would have just such thick, grizzled eyebrows meeting above a thin, sensitive nose. I'll take it, the stranger exclaimed, lowering the violin. Here, he added, holding it to Morrison. Play it yourself. Play it again. No. Morrison's voice was so sharp that the shopkeeper jerked his head around to look at him. The stranger shrugged on the shoulder. Well then, you'll have to listen to me. And once more he was playing. Now Morrison saw himself in his late teens, the violin under his chin, playing the same piece the stranger was playing. And once again, except for his father, the family was gathered around him. And again his mother was crying. And so was his oldest sister, Agnes. And once again, Uncle Denny was speaking. Mary, it would be a wicked shame if the lad didn't go on with his studies. 
Don't tell me it can't be managed, even though Big Jim is gone from us. I have a job. I'll see to it that he becomes a concert violinist, even if it should take my last red cent. But it hadn't taken Uncle Denny's last red cent, for while the music enveloped him, Morrison was remembering what he had said at graduation. I'm going to go to work, he had announced. I want to make money, a pile of it. We've been poor all our lives. I want to be rich. Nothing else matters. In vain, his mother and sister had pleaded with him to continue his music. In vain, Uncle Denny had pointed out to him that, with his exceptional talent, he was already rich. But the teenage mind was set, and no one could change it. As the piece finally ended, the stranger lowered the violin and stood motionless. He uttered no word, but in his alert eyes, there was hope. Morrison said, There, I've bought it for you, though I don't know why. Take it now and go along. But the man merely held the violin out before him. Play it, he said. Play it again. Play the mountaintop, the stranger said. Your father loved it. I, I don't remember it, Morrison said, and then, to his own surprise, he began to play. Not perfectly, and not without two or three false starts, but he played it through to the end, because somehow he had the odd feeling that his father was listening, and he wanted to please him. Then, of his own accord, he played Nora O'Neill, because that was his mother's favorite, and he wanted to please her. And now, to his intense astonishment, the shop was no longer depressing, but bright with a kind of golden radiance that set the objects on the walls and in the showcase to sparkling, as if somehow they were a vital part of Christmas. And then, because it was the eve of the most wonderful day the world had ever known, he played Adeste Fidelis. Played it not just with his hands and fingers, but with his whole soul and body, as he remembered playing it while in his teens, so that when he finished, his eyes were moist. "'Tis yours,' the stranger said, "'and this would be twice I've given it to you. Play it sometimes, won't you? Goodbye now, and God bless you.' And he strode towards the front of the store. After a moment of bewildered hesitation, Morrison strode after him, but by the time he reached the door, the man had vanished into the early twilight of the street. Behind the steering wheel of his car, the old violin was on the seat beside him. As he started the motor, he felt the violin slide forward and, in order to prevent its falling to the floor, quickly put out his hand. In doing so, his fingers struck the strings and they gave forth a chord that reached his ears after the manner of Uncle Denny speaking to him from the remote past. Jim, be good, be kind, be generous. Give to others who need it of that which you have in such abundance. Tis never too late to start giving. Scrape the bowl across the strings now and then and forget the hard material world. For your own sake, Jim, and for the sake of others, heed what I am telling you. Morrison expelled a deep breath as he eased the big car down the street. Looking at the brightly colored lights, he remembered Christmas when he was a young lad. And he said aloud, Yes, I shall heed. I shall remember to take time out and now and then to scrape the bow across the strings. But he wouldn't take time out tonight for tonight 
and into the early morning, he had something far more important to do, more important even than attending a big housewarming in the country. For over in South Brooklyn, there was a church, and he was remembering the smell of it on Christmas Eve, and the sight and sound of people under the high vaulted ceiling, and himself in a pew halfway down the aisle, along with Mom and Dad, Agnes and the rest of his sisters, and of course, his Uncle Denny. James Morrison turned into a long straight street that led towards South Brooklyn. The tune of Adeste Fidelis was playing in his head. Thank you for spending part of your Christmas with us. A Christmas Violin was written by Russell Carter and published in Catholic Hearth Magazine. And If You're Missing Baby Jesus was written by Jean Gitson and published in Christmas Stories for the Heart. Our singers were Maureen Blake, Eva Blake, Dominique Rochette, and Natalie Rochette. The Bethlehem Poem was read by Deacon Tom Lowy. Background music by David Phillips. I'm Sandra McDevitt. May you and those dear to you have a blessed and holy Christmas season. Merry Christmas from EWTN Radio. Then there's a prayer that comes from fear. A lot of people are converted with this kind of prayer. They you know the old saying, there's no... Savior and Messiah, give our King the glory due His name. I will wait for you, I will wait for you, with nothing in my hand. No pathway will I wander, till I'm gladdened by the thought of loving you. And laid there I wait with light a candle As the bride awaits the coming of the groom As the bride awaits the coming of the groom
prayer. So please pray together with me our EWTN family prayer. Today we pray for the growth of the culture of life. Heavenly Father, lover of all life, we thank you for loving the thought of us and creating us. You do not delight in the destruction of the living, but rather that all may live and prosper. We thank you for showing us the way to life and love, the way to holiness and joy. Help us to build the culture of life and the civilization of love. Bring to naught the designs of those who seek to destroy life. Save us by your power. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood. This is the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network's airing of today's Mass. From the EWTN Radio Chapel in Birmingham, Alabama, welcome. Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Brethren, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, and what I have done, and what I have failed to do. Therefore I ask the Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, all the angels and saints, 
and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Come quickly, we pray, Lord Jesus, and do not delay, that those who trust in your compassion may find solace and relief in your coming. We live and reign with God the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the second book of Samuel. When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies on every side, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan answered the king, Go, do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night, the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, Go, tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Should you build me a house to dwell in? It was I who took you from the pasture and from the care of the flock to be commander of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. And I will make you famous like the great ones of the earth. I will fix a place for my people, Israel. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their place without further disturbance. Neither shall the wicked continue to afflict them as they did of old. Since the time I first appointed judges over my people, Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also reveals to you that he will establish a house for you. And when your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I'll raise you, I will raise up your heir after you, sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. Verbum Domini. Yeah. 
Forever will I sing the goodness of the Lord. The favors of the Lord I will sing forever. Through all generations, my mouth shall proclaim your faithfulness. For you have said, my kindness is established forever. In heaven, you have confirmed your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. Forever will I confirm your posterity and establish your throne for all generations. He shall say of me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. Forever I will maintain my kindness toward him and my covenant with him stands firm. Lexia Sancti Evangelii Secundum Lucam. Zechariah, his father, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and set them free. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through his prophets he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to set us free from the hand of our enemies, free to worship him without fear holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. And the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us, to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death, 
and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verbum Domini. Today in the Gospel, the prophecy of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. <clears throat> he has just been released from his muteness, and he has spoken. He's, he wrote out, he confirmed the name that John the Baptist, his name would be John, which means God is mercy. And then he gives this beautiful prophecy about what God is doing, really. This mighty Savior he's raising up. And that Zechariah, or that John the Baptist, is to go before the Messiah, right, and to prepare the way. The first reading today from 2 Samuel speaks of King David and his desire to build a temple for the Lord. Remember, we had uh, the call of Abraham, we have uh, the people uh, living in this promised land. <clears throat> And David was raised up to be king and anointed, and they have a, a relative period of peace here, and he wants to build a house for the Lord. And he says, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan answers, go and do whatever he says, but the Lord, whatever you say, but the Lord spoke to him and says, Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, should you build me a house to dwell in? And God is telling him, he said, Rather, I am going to build you the house of David, your reign, a kingdom that's going to ultimately produce the Messiah through your lineage. But he's establishing this kingdom uh, through David, and he is doing this work. So you're not going to do that. This is, it's I who am building the house of David here. And then ultimately, David's son uh, will build the temple. So it was I who took you from the pasture and from the care of the flock to be commander of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. And I will make you famous like the great ones of the earth. And I will fix a place for my people, Israel. That he's led them out of bondage. We had the call from Abraham, forms of people. They're in, exi they're in exile in Egypt, held in bondage. God's led them out through Moses. And then he's established a kingship through David in this promised land, in this land giving to them where they can offer sacrifice to the God of Israel. I will fix a place for my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. I will raise up your heir after you, sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. I will be a father to him. He shall be a son to me. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever. So that's quite a promise he's making to David. David was king from 1010 
BC to 970 BC. Solomon would reign from 970 to 930 BC. And it would be, David would lay up the materials for the, for the temple. Solomon would start work on it in 966 BC and be completed seven years later. And then Jesus comes like a thousand years later, so, and he crosses that threshold of the temple. It's a big moment, right? The presentation. That this is a fulfillment of the long-awaited Messiah. And that's, this is going to be the fulfillment of the kingdom, is Jesus Christ. He is the kingdom in person. You know, your kingdom shall endure before me. Your throne shall stand firm forever in Jesus Christ. Remember, he came and inaugurated the kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand. He has begun this. And this is good news for us, right? We want to belong to a, a strong kingdom, a kingdom of peace and justice, of harmony. This is where God is. We say that Christ is the kingdom in person, our belonging to it through faith and repentance. We experience his lordship over us, that we have communion with him, we belong to him, that we can worship the Father uh, through him, sharing in his sacrifice on Calvary, offer up our own worship, the sacrifice of our lives. So this is in Christ is where we experience and discover his love and providence. This is where the purpose of his coming to conquer evil, to conquer sin and death, that he has victory over what has held us bondage, what holds us in bondage, he liberates us. In his kingdom, we experience this new freedom from sin, the forgiveness of sins. We experience God's grace that we're transformed. And Zacharias today, Zechariah proclaims John the Baptist's role in ushering in this kingdom, preparing the way for Jesus, the kingdom in person. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has come to his people and set them free. It's really a great theme of mercy throughout this canticle. We think of the Exodus event, right? They're held in bondage, deliberated, brought to the promised land. The message there is that there's no other gods. There's only the God of Israel, and it's by the power of his outstretched hand that we are liberated. That's true for our salvation. God alone is the one we serve. He's the only God, and it's by his grace, by his work, that we are set free from sin and death. Through his prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies. Right? Concretely, they were saved from the Egyptians, the Canaanites, the Babylonians, and we are saved from the enemies of God by living and dwelling in his kingdom, by having this communion with him. Sin, our personal sin, that if we respond to his grace, we can have some victory over our enemies. This was the oath he swore to our father Abraham to set us free from the hand of our enemies, free to worship him without fear. Freedom from our enemies to worship him without fear. This is first done in the desert, <clears throat> and they have the Ark of the Covenant. 
<clears throat> you know, in a tent, and they're still moving around and eventually having the conquest of the, the promised land. And ultimately, they build the temple. They can offer a sacrifice to the God of Israel. And now we're offered that ability to enter into the prayer of Jesus to his Father at every Mass, that we can offer the sacrifice of our lives and even offer up that sacrifice Jesus did for us on Calvary. It's the fulfillment, the perfection of worship of God the Father. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, speaking of John the Baptist, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins and the tender compassion of our God. It's through God's mercy that he reaches out to us. He offers us this salvation to guide our feet into the way of peace that it is in Christ alone that we can find the fullness of peace. It's only by turning to him that we can be freed from sin, that we can be shown this path of peace, that we can cling to him and follow him every day, you know, take, you know, take these steps with him in our life. And I think that's such a, a consoling message you know because we're all sinners we all you know live this life imperfectly and we fall at times but the answer is to get up again and start following the lord and whatever situation we're in we might have to walk out of a lot of chaos and destruction so to speak but he's showing us the path and we can have this new beginning with him every time we start to walk with him, every time we turn to his merciful love and compassion. Uh, Pope Benedict, when he was, uh, as Cardinal Ratzinger, he, he wrote that the ultimate end of all New Testament liturgy and of all priestly ministry is to make the world as a whole a temple and sacrificial offering to God. It brings the whole world into the body of Christ. To be able to offer that sacrifice of our life, to have that not just in one location, one geographic location, to have a temple, but to extend this ability to worship him to all who are baptized to Christ, and especially to offer worship, to offer sacrifice, to seek his will, to receive his grace. Jesus, you know, in this Christmas mystery that we are about to celebrate, he offers all this to us to be part of this, this kingdom that will last forever, to be joined to him, to have communion with him. And he comes in the most beautiful, non-threatening way to invite us to this love, to experience it, proclaim it to others, you know, and to live it every day, you know, in, in whatever small steps and whatever way that we can to always be turning him to receive this new life. You've been listening and learning from today's homily on the EWTN Radio Network.
Let us offer our petitions to the Lord who looks down on us and knows all our needs, for he gives peace to those who trust in him. For church leaders, that by their own words and actions, they may continue to encourage us to grow in faith. We pray to the Lord. That the people of God may exercise the love and mercy that God desires us to show to the weakest members of our community. We pray to the Lord. For the intentions of all who have asked for our prayers, that in his mercy, the Lord assists them in their needs. We pray to the Lord. That those who have died may overcome darkness in order to reflect the light of eternal glory. We pray to the Lord. In your mercy, Lord, direct, direct the affairs of men so peaceably that your church may serve you in tranquility and joy. We make our prayer through Christ our Lord.
Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Graciously make your own, O Lord, the offerings which we bring, that partaking of them we be cleansed of our sins and merit to stand ready with pure hearts for the coming and glory of your Son, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Dominus Vobiscum. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For all the oracles of the prophets foretold him, the Virgin Mother longed for him, with love beyond all telling. John the Baptist sang of his coming and proclaimed his presence when he came. It is by his gift that already we rejoice at the mystery of his nativity, so that he may find us watchful in prayer and exultant in his praise. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Abaot, Plenis Uncevi et Terra, Gloria Tua, Osana in Excelsis, Benedictus Quibemit in you are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples saying, take this, all of you, and drink from it. For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. Mysterium Fidei celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity together with Francis, our Pope, and Stephen, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, the Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Herd ipsum et cum ipso et in ipso, estibideo patri omnipotenti, et unitate spiritu sancti, omnis honor et gloria, per omnia secula seculorum. Great Chapti Salitaribus Moniti, et Divina Institutione Formati, Audemus Dei Cere. Domini ab omnibus malis, da propitius pacem in diebus nostris, ud ope misericordiae tu adiuti, 
et a peccato simus semper liberi, et ab omni perturbatione secordri, expectantes beatum spem, et eventum salvatoris nostri, Jesu Christi. Domine Jesu Christe, quid existi apostolis tuis, pacem relinquo vobis, pacem meam da vobis, ne despicias peccata nostras et fidem ecclesiae tuae, eam quae secunda voluntatem tuam, pacificare acquardinare digneris, qui vivis et regnas in secula seculo hordrum. Pax Domini sit semper vobiscum. Et cum spiritus Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has visited his people and redeemed them. For those who cannot now receive Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, we offer the following prayer. My Jesus, I believe that thou art present in the Blessed Sacrament. I love thee above all things, and I desire thee in my soul. Since I cannot now receive thee sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. As though thou wert already there, I embrace thee and unite myself wholly to thee. Permit me not that I should ever be separated from thee. Amen. Now, Holy Communion is being offered. This is the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network from the EWTN Radio Chapel in Birmingham, Alabama.
The cleansing of the vessels is now happening just prior to the procession and the conclusion of this Mass on EWTN Radio.
Let us pray. Grant to us who find new vigor, O Lord, in these your wondrous gifts, that as we prepare to celebrate in adoration the festivities of your son's nativity, so we may possess in gladness his everlasting rewards, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Dominus Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus.
to the knowledge of your truth. We beg you to send laborers into your harvest and grant them grace to speak your word with all boldness, so that your word may spread and be glorified, and all nations may know you, the only God, and him you have sent, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Our Lady, Queen of the Americas, Mary, Mother of the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word, pray for us.
Wishing you a Merry Christmas and a blessed and safe New Year from all of us at EWTN Radio.